Hi, this is Matthew Schwartz, Executive Editor for Information Security Media Group. I'm at InfoSec Europe in London, speaking with Raj Simoni, VP and Chief Technology Officer for EMEA at Intel Security. Raj, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Matthew, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Enjoying the show. What is going on with you in security terms these days? Well, first and foremost, apologies for the background noise. We are on a showroom floor. Um, things have been busy. And uh, you know, a couple of months back, we, we completed the takedown of the B-Bone botnet. And I'm sure your listeners here are going, well, yeah, that's old news, Raj, right? We knew about that two months ago. But actually, our work hasn't stopped on that. I realize that for many people, seeing and reading the headlines that actually there's been a takedown of criminal infrastructure may appear to be the end of it. But for us, it's really only half the story because we've still got tens of thousands of computers out there that are infected. Now, those computers that are infected with B-Bone aren't going to the bad guys. What they're doing is they're going to our sinkholes. But the thing with B-Bone was is that it was a downloader of other forms of malware. So you had a really nasty rootkit, for example, called Neckers. You had cut whales, spam bots. You had financial trojans on there. And I'm going to hold my hands up and say, you know, we got the estimation wrong. Um, we said that actually there were 12,000 infected computers out there, and that was the press release that, we, that Europol came out with which was our information. But actually what we realized was the number of infected hosts were way higher. In fact, we're, getting to, we're seeing in our sinkhole somewhere between 30 to 40,000 unique infections per day. So it's way bigger than we originally thought. Um, but the remediation is, is the painful part now. <laughs> you know, we're trying to get people to go out and download the removal tools to clean their computers to make sure that those numbers actually decrease. And you know, I can tell your, your listeners today, we've managed to go down from 37,000 down to about 33,000. We've had a 10% um, rate of, of, of remediation, which, I don't know, between you and me, I'm a little bit disappointed. I kind, of, I, I kind of would love to stand up and say, right, well, that one's over now, what's next? And we're down to zero. But obviously not everyone's reading the Europol press releases and tracking the rise of the latest malware. Well, do you know, we actually had over... I mean, I typed in Google the other day, B-Bone Somani, and, and I had 8,370 hits. So we had some incredible coverage, and, and thanks to people like yourselves who basically covered it. So it wasn't just the Europol piece, but you know, here was the interesting part. We said that actually 90% of infections were out of the United States, based on our telemetry. What we're seeing in the sinkhole is the number one country that has the most number of infections by far, is actually Iran. That's unusual. I think so. Then number two, Peru. You know, so whenever we work with the, the, the team over at Shadow Server, who are just absolute rock stars, we always make sure that the information, i.e. the infected systems, the knowledge of those systems, go to the various different ISPs and certs. So whenever we go to the ISPs and certs, we'll tell them these are the lists of IP addresses that we have, and can you please notify your customers? Well, in places like the United States and the UK and in Europe, we've got a pretty good infrastructure. The cert program is pretty mature. You know, the ISPs are well integrated and well you know, work with us so that actually notifications go to customers. Well, in this case, we had, you know, Iran, Peru, we had the various different stands, we had Vietnam and other countries, mm -hmm. where actually we may not have 
that level of maturity with regards to the ISPs, with regards to the certs. So I think it really shows to me that you know, we as in the security industry need to do more to protect and, and notify and provide education, understanding and awareness of these issues to countries where they may not have the same level of infrastructure as we do. How does one go about providing that sort of education? And I am wondering as well if they're using the latest operating systems with all the latest patches and if that could account as well for the infections because it's, you know, it's Windows 95, Windows 98, something that's easy to infiltrate. You know, we're fighting a 21st century world war with 20th century rules. You know, if I want to, if, if, if there was a great, there was a great quote, um, my favorite quote actually, Mike Tyson said, everybody has a great plan until you get punched in the face. And, and it kind of reminds me of the way crime works today, which is, you know, if I go and punch you in the face here in London, I should use a different analogy, I apologize. <laughs> but, but since we're in London. Yeah, since we're in London, if I wanted to punch you in the face in London, there are policemen that go out and, 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 and will arrest me for that because I am in the UK and I've conducted a crime in the UK. And when we look at the concept of cyber, and I hate the word cyber crime, by the way, but when we look at the word of cyber-enabled crime, I don't need to be in the UK to go out and conduct a crime against you. So the challenges that we face is that the only way that we can combat this is by law enforcement to be able, and law enforcement and public sector to work and collaborate, but in addition to that, to establish liaisons with other law enforcement agencies across the world. And I think we're beginning to see the fruits of that with regards to EC3, the European Cybercrime Centre, who to me are you know, the shining example of how a, a, a pan-regional law enforcement agency can work and collaborate and get this level of interoperation between different agencies across the world. But you know, we've still got a long way to go. You know, yes, EC3 has the liaisons for the 28 member states, and yes, has liaisons with some of the major agencies across the world, but what are we doing in, what do we have? Kyrgyzstan, Turkestan, Uzbekistan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What are we doing there? I don't know. The panel yesterday on cybercrime, which had some of your Europol cybersecurity advising colleagues, Alan Woodward, Brian Honan moderating, they were talking about the success thus far of EC3, but how that's only come about in the last 12 to 18 months and how it looks to be a great model for going forward. But it's unclear as yet if that model can be applied in places like you were saying that have less robust infrastructures. And so that begs the question of, are they going to continue to be the easy prey to pick off from a, an online attack standpoint? We're all easy prey. We really are. We've got a new threat report coming out shortly. By the time this obviously goes out, the, the report will be public. I just want to put things into perspective for you. The growth of ransomware from Q4 2014 to Q1 2015, up by 165%. Wow. Think about it for a second. If you had any crime or unemployment or anything that grew by 165% in three months, you would be freaking out. The number of, actually, the amount of malware has increased by 13% from Q4 to Q1. We've now got 400 million malware samples within our malware zoo. Our mobile malware zoo has gone up by 49%, just in one quarter. The amount of spam emails that we have is actually six trillion in a quarter. Think about it for a second, six trillion. 
what else is six trillion in the world? There is nothing that is six trillion. Six trillion grains of sand, maybe, or something. You know, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about whole-scale migration and evolution from physical to, to cyber-enabled. This is not cybercrime. This is not a special, different type of crime that we need, you know, that, we, that, that that's different to what we've done in the past. This is an evolution, you know, and I've said this in the last podcast, but you're robbing banks with, with, with malware and USB sticks, not with guns. And why wouldn't you if you're a criminal? I why mean, would I leave my bedroom? Why would I leave my bedroom? You wouldn't, right? And, and I don't want to freak people out or scare people, right? Cyber provides opportunity. You know, let me ask you a question. And let me ask your listeners a question. I'm going to say a word, and I want you to tell me the first thing that comes into your head. <laughs> so, ready? Cyber. Intelligence. Okay. Next one, cyber. Crime. Next one, cyber. Espionage. All pretty negative, right? Every single word that you've told me associated with cyber is negative. And yet, actually, there are two sides of this coin. Cyber is opportunity. The best opportunity we've ever had. Think about it. How many businesses today have changed in the last 10 years beyond recognition? What about your industry, journalism? How has that changed? What about retail? How has that changed? When was the last time you did your Christmas shopping and spent three days walking around lugging bags because your wife wants to buy another present for somebody? We don't, we don't shop physically. You know, every single thing that we do in every single industry and in every single sector has been dramatically improved because of technology, because of cyber. So what we've got to do as a society and as, as cybersecurity professionals is begin to allow people to be able to really adopt these wonderful opportunities that cyber represents, but to do so in a fashion that mitigates and manages those risks. That's all we're about. We're not going to eliminate it because we want to go down this path. Technology has the ability to be able to remove inequality. It really, really does. You know, your opportunity to be able to go online and listen to the most inspirational speakers just by simply free of charge for you to be able to learn new skills to be able to communicate with individuals that normally you would never have an opportunity to um, for you to have the ability to be able to become a famous pop star just by having talent and be, being on the world stage we've never had this before and I think just because you're in Iran just because you're in Peru regardless of where you are I think it's, it's, it's you know, geography is no longer the barrier, the main barrier. Now, yes, there are issues and challenges, but it's not like it was even 10 years ago. You made a great point about how we fixate on the negative aspects of the online experience sometimes. Is it worth highlighting that with the rise of any business opportunity or leveling mechanism or way of connecting lots of people, crime necessarily comes with it, sociologically speaking? It's an evolution. I remember I was at a classified meeting once and somebody said, we're really concerned and upset with the rise of social media. It's causing us no end of trouble. And I said, but you know what? You said the same about internet access. You know, <laughs> 10 years ago, people are going on the internet and not being productive. And before that, people, when, I, when I first started working, and I don't want to give away my age, people were telling me, 
Oh, you're not allowed to use the phone for personal use. Do you remember this? Yes. And, and now you're not allowed to use the internet for personal use. You're only allowed to use it between 12 and 1. Oh, social media. You know, this is just evolution. This is just change. You know what? Get over it. Adopt and embrace this. Because I, I'll tell you something. If you don't embrace new opportunities, your competitors will. And isn't it remarkable that some of the biggest companies in the world really were nowhere? I mean, YouTube was only founded, what, in 2005? And now it's part of the vocabulary. Isn't it remarkable that Twitter is, is less than 10 years old? You know, Facebook, uh, all of these, you know, I mean, Apple is what? The most valuable brand in the world and is no more than, what, 30 to 40 years old. I always, I, I'm blown away by, you know, people being surprised at valuations. I mean, the WhatsApp value, uh, valuation outstripping the valuation of Alstom. And you go, well, hang on, Alstom have got offices and people and, and they make stuff, physical stuff, and yet WhatsApp is just, you know, a very small organization. But this is the new way that the world lives. And, you know, you either, you either embrace this and you accept these, or you try to realize these opportunities, or you get left behind. And, you know, we've got some amazing companies and names that just simply don't exist anymore. You know, I grew up reading the news of the world. You know, I used to go on a Sunday, pick it up and read the full pages. And now I kind of look at newspapers and I say, well, if I want yesterday's news, I'll invent a time machine and I'll go backwards, right? It's, that's the way that the world works now. Raj, thanks for taking the time to speak with me today. Hey, not a problem. For ISNG, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Thanks for joining us.